How many of you have uh, ever uh, experienced or, or know what it means to do an intervention? How many have ever heard that word, intervention? Maybe, maybe you were part of an intervention or maybe you helped to do an intervention. But what comes to mind when you think about that word, intervention? What comes to mind? It, it comes, what comes to mind is somebody, maybe it was you, but somebody was, was on the wrong path, going the wrong direction, and needed help. Amen? That's what intervention means. And I want to tell you about one intervention that I, I know of. All, most of us will, will remember this, but April 1st, 1978, a well-known family, husband, four adult children, confronted the wife and mother about her addiction to pain medicine and alcohol. The, the conversation started like this. We're doing this because we all love you. This was the beginning, this, this love-centered uh, intervention, this love-centered confrontation was the beginning of a long recovery, a long period that saved this woman's life and, and her family. It saved her family. And four years later, after a successful recovery, after rehab, uh, this woman went on to open a, a treatment center that has literally saved thousands of lives, changed thousands of lives. And some of you know who I'm talking about, but her name was Betty Ford. And uh, she was the wife of our 38th president, Gerald Ford. So you remember part of this story? And the center that was started was called the Betty Ford Center. And it was a, it, and that center and her life being changed herself has changed thousands of lives over the years. And it started out with the love and the care of her family. And her family loved her so much that they refused to allow her to stay where she was at, caught in the chains of addiction to, to painkillers and, and to uh, alcohol. Have you ever been part of an intervention yourself? Ever had a family member or a friend that needed an intervention? You ever thought about, about an intervention and what it means? How many of you would be surprised this morning if, if I told you that I needed an intervention at a part in my life? Maybe not like Betty Ford's intervention, but there was a point in my life where I needed an intervention. And, and how many of you would be surprised if I said this morning that every one of you have at one point in your life needed an intervention? Maybe not the same as we've just talked about or described, but you needed an intervention. So today we're continuing this message series in Ephesians. And this message series we have called The Mystery of the Church. How many of you are enjoying this series? Are you learning anything about this series? It's called The Mystery of the Church. How many know the church is a mystery? It's a mystery. Most people, and especially the world, doesn't understand it. But it's a, it's a mystery. How many know that God is a mystery. God is a mystery. 
Most people don't want to think of God being a mystery, but he's a mystery. He wrote, or he gives us out of Proverbs 25, 2, which is the theme passage of this scripture, of this uh, series. He wrote, or gives us this word, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter. In other words, it is the glory of God to create mystery, but it's the glory of kings to search out a matter, to search out mystery. How many kings do we have here today? How many people here today? Boy, no one's going to put their hands up with that one. How many, how many kings do we have? I, I, in God, I'm a king. Amen? Are we, we kings and priests? That's what the Bible says, right? How many of you love to search out the deeper things of God? Go beyond the pages. Drill down in his word. How many of you want to know more of God tomorrow than you know today? Amen? That's what a king is. And, we, and what we're searching out in the deeper things is the mysteries of God. And when we come to church, we're a part of this great mystery. You see, God hides things in mystery for us to search out and discover. He hides things, not from us, but for us. How many know God hides these things for us? And so we're going to go into the scripture. The reason it's taken seven weeks to go through Ephesians 1 is because I wanted to drill down. I wanted, to, I wanted us to, to go deeper and to have a deeper understanding of what the Apostle Paul was writing in this. And today we're going to look at Ephesians 2. We're going to start with verse 1 and read this along with me. Ephesians 1, or Ephesians 2, verse 1. It says... And you, look at your neighbor and says, hey, he's talking about you. And you, he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin. How many know we were all dead in trespasses and sin? Verse 2, in which you once walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all, say we all. We all. Uh, you just looked at your neighbor and says you. He's talking about you. How many? He's talking about us. Yeah. He's talking about we all in southern vernacular, right? We all. Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature... Children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Verse 6. And raised us up together and made us to sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Father, we pray, Lord, today, God, that you would just unpack and unwrap these words. Lord, that you would help us, Lord, to Open our hearts. Holy Spirit, cause our hearts to be open to receive, Lord, the mysteries of your word, the deeper things of your word. Lord, we pray that you would today speak to our hearts 
and change our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to talk to you today about a divine intervention. How many know there is a divine intervention? Every intervention, whether it be natural one that we may experience with a family member or a friend or even ourselves, every intervention has at its core a problem. There's a problem that if left alone could have devastating and life-threatening consequences. That's why the Ford family did this intervention. In Betty Ford's case, her family, they, they recognized what was going on in her life and that, that the addiction and the, and the, and the life-destructing activities that she was caught up in, those chains, that if they left it alone, it would destroy her and eventually would destroy her family. So Paul begins this chapter by telling us uh, the problem because at the core of every intervention is a problem. And so Paul tells us the problem that exists or existed in humanity. How many know there's a problem in humanity that if left alone would have devastating effects on humanity and would cause humanity, humanity to be destined to a life without God? Are you hearing me, church? It says the problem here, every core, at the core of every intervention is a problem. Paul tells us the problem is we were all dead in trespasses and sin. The core of the problem was we were dead in trespasses and sin. Now, a trespass, some people, we don't understand what a trespass is in the Bible, biblical term of trespass, but a trespass is what's called a transgression. Say transgression. What a transgression is, is it's sin caked upon sin, caked upon sin. Unrepentant sin upon unrepentant sin upon unrepentant sin. You know, one of the our members of our board of directors and, and a father of this house, Dr. Dale Van Steenus, he, he, has, uh, he has said to me many times, he's pro preached a message years ago called, Be a Quick Repenter. You know, when you find yourself, oh, I was just caught in a lie. Ooh, you know, maybe no one else knows, but you know, right? You ever, ever have you been convicted of something like that quick said, that was not right? Like what Dr. Dale's message was, be a quick repenter because sin, an unrepentant sin, an unrepentant sin, that's what transgression is. Jack Hayford describes it this way. Jack Hayford says that that. Transgression is walking along a sidewalk, but constantly veering off the sidewalk into the mud that's on either side. And before long, that mud gets caked on your shoes. It gets caked, and you get back on the path, but the, 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 but the, the, the mud isn't dry, isn't cleaned off, and it gets caked upon cake. You ever had a pair of boots that you've been out like hiking or maybe shoes that you've been out in the woods or, or about out in the mud and you just take them home and you put them in the garage and they just it's just this cake of, of, of mud. He, that Jack Hayford says that is what is transgression. That is what is a, trans, uh, is a trespass. That's what Paul is speaking of here, that we were dead in that caking of unrepentant sin and sin and upon sin. And sin... 
as defined here, is missing the mark. Sin is mark missing. It's missing the mark. It's not accidental. Sin is not accidental, church. Too many people think of sin as, oops, how did I do that? No, sin is, is the reason it's called missing the mark is because, is because your, eyes, your eyes and your focus are on the wrong things in life. You're not keeping focused on at the end of that sidewalk, at the end of that path. You're, keep, you're focused on the things to the right and to the left. Those things keep grabbing your attention. They keep veering you off the path. If you stay focused on the path, you'll stay on the path. But the reason that we go off the path is because our eyes are on the wrong things. That's what sin is. It's missing the mark. And because of that, we, we find ourselves to the right and to the left of the path, and we find ourselves in transgression with our, with our boots caked upon, and our lives caked upon sin, upon sin, upon sin. Paul says that we were dead in those transgressions and sin. That's the problem. Paul goes on to say here that we were all living according to the course of this world. How many know if you live according to the course of this world, the path of this world, you'll find yourself in transgression and sin? The world is anti-God. It's anti-Christ. The spirit of this world is anti-God and anti-Christ. Paul says we were living according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Who's he talking about there? He's talking about Satan. He's talking about the devil. He's talking about the evil one. However you want to describe it, he's the devil. And he says we were, if you're walking in accordance with the world, you're also walking in accordance with the intentions of the enemy, of the devil. You're hearing me, church. And then he says, according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit of who now works in the sons of disobedience. The spirit he's talking about there is the climate or the culture of the world. There is a spirit of this world. It is disobedience. There is a spirit of this world that is the intention of this world is to pull you off the path, to pull you from off to the right or to the left, to get you to focus on the pleasures of this world as opposed to the pleasures of God. Amen? He goes on to say that we were all conducting our lives in the lust of our own flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we were, listen to this, by nature, he says, children of wrath. By nature, the culture of the world became our culture. We receive and begin to live. When you live out the nature of this world, the culture of this world, then the world, the culture and nature of this world will become your nature. And he says that we were by nature children of wrath. Now that word wrath doesn't mean, doesn't mean angry. It doesn't mean angry. What that word wrath means is it means that, that we were driven by our worldly, fleshly desires. In fact, the word wrath there comes from a Greek word. The Greek word is orge, and it's where the word orgy comes from. It's driven by the desires of the flesh. We became, we became, we were 
by nature children of fleshly desires. Our lives were driven by what pleases the flesh. Our lives were driven by what pleases me, what pleases myself. That's the condition. That's the problem. It's a serious condition. But Paul's saying here that every one of us, every one of us were part of that. He's speaking to you. He's speaking to me. He's speaking to us. He's writing this letter to the church at Ephesus. Because we're a part of the church doesn't mean we're exempt. Every one of us were part of this problem, and this problem was existing in our lives. Are you hearing me, church? Verse 4, but says, but God. Say that with me. But God. Say it again. But God. You see, every one of us were part of this problem. This problem was part of every one of us. But God. But God, who he says is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved. The phrase, but God, appears in the Bible 45 times. And, and what it's speaking of there in every case is when there is a person or a people that are going in the wrong direction. There is put in there, but God. It's an intervention, a divine intervention. Life going in the wrong way. Life heading towards destruction. But God loved you so much he wouldn't allow you to continue. Loved you so much he wouldn't allow you to stay in that same place. Matthew 4.17 says, From that time, speaking of Jesus, from that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Say repent. Repent. But God came. But God intervened. And but God says, Repent. Jesus says, Repent. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The word repent means to change your mind, to change the way you think. Get your mind and, and your focus off of the things to the right and to the left, off of those things that keep causing you to veer off the path. Get your mind off things. That word repent means to, to, to change your mind, but it means to, to turn in a 180-degree direction. So you're going one way. You're going the way of the world. You're, you're veering to the right and to the left. Your, your, your boots, if you will, are caked with mud. And God, but God says, but God says, repent, turn go the other way. Change the way you think. Change what you're doing. Change your actions. You see, we were all on the wrong path. Every one of us were, were going a different direction. We were all addicted to pleasure. All addiction stems from fleshly pleasure. Every addiction there is comes from the desires of the flesh being stronger than our will to serve God, to search out the things of God, to live for God. We were all addicted to pleasure and our desires, and, and, and we needed an intervention in our lives. Every one of us. You say, well, wait a minute, I've, I've never been that bad. I'm telling you, the Bible says every one of us were addicted to the pleasure of sin. From the time we were born till the time that we came to Christ, if you have, you were addicted of the things of the pleasure of the, and the pleasures of this world. And even beyond that, those pleasures still keep 
grabbing your attention, keep pulling you back. I'm going to tell you, the devil, the Bible says, is defeated. But I'm going to tell you that the, there, there is this force, there is this spiritual climate of the world that we are part of that has such a strong effect on our flesh that keeps wanting to pull us back, keeps wanting to destroy us, keeps wanting to distract us from the things of God. Amen? Amen. But God, he says, but God, because of his rich mercy, because of his great love, he steps into, he steps into the middle of humanity's problem, which is sin, which is missing the mark, which is transgression. God wasn't afraid to step in the middle of your mess. God is not so, so uh, he's not so proud, he's not so big that he didn't step right into the middle of your lowest place and point in your life into the middle of your mess. Romans 5.8 says, but God. Say, but God. But God. How many know we all need a but God? Amen. I had a friend years ago that, that preached a message called God's butt. <laughs> he didn't mean to say it that way, but it came out that way. But the point is, there's, there's 45 of those but God's in Scripture, and every one of them means an intervention of God into the life of man, into our lives where we needed it. Amen? Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Intervention. Intervention. Every one of us need that intervention. This divine intervention motivated by by God's love, grace, and mercy, radically changes our lives in three ways that we see here. And I just want to point these out to you. There's three ways we need to be aware of how God's intervention radically changes our life. The first, God's intervention makes us alive together with Christ. He makes us alive together with with Christ. Verse 5 says, even when we were dead in trespasses. How many know when you're dead, you don't really think about being cognizant or aware of anything going on, right? And so we were dead to we were dead in our transgressions. We were dead in our sinfulness. We didn't know anything else going on because we're covered up with sin. That mud is caked over our lives. But God intervened in the fact that Jesus came, died on the cross, that Jesus intervened in the life of man and made us alive so that we can be aware of what we're doing and change the way we think. Can somebody say amen? See, what we need to understand is God refused to leave humanity where it was at. God refused to leave us in the pit of life where we were at. He refused to leave us on this destructive path, and he intervened in our lives. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, say anyone. anyone. Say, that's me. Anyone. I'm an anyone. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. He is, old things have passed away. He's a new creation. Everything has passed away. Mud on the boots has, has been washed off and cleaned off. My sins have been washed away. If, if there is anyone in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. 
He gave us a new, he intervened. He gave us a new life. He says that, that God intervenes and makes us alive together with who? With Christ. He intervened. He made us alive together. The second, the second thing that I want you to see this morning is God's intervention raises us up together with Christ. He raises us up. Verse 6 says he raises us up together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You see, what you need to understand, we all need to remember this, is that God didn't just give us a new life. He gave us a brand new life, but he didn't even leave us right there. He raised us up to a new place in him. He raised us up to a new life and a new level in him. That's why it's so important for us, every one of us, to see ourselves as, as kings and priests so that we will search out the deeper things of God. God has so much more for us than just what's on the surface. He has so much more for us than what we've already experienced experience and live through. God calls all of us to search out those things, to come to a new level. He did this. He intervened to raise us up to that new level. He did this to raise us up in heavenly places. Why do we need to be raised with Christ in heavenly places? Because God wants us to be above the spirit of this world. He raised us up out of the spirit of this world. You may be in the world, but you're not of the world. Say that. I'm in the world, but I am not of this world. I am not subject to the spirit of this world. You can say that. I am not subject to the spirit of this world. I have been raised up with Christ in heavenly places, and I am above the spirit of this world in Christ. He raises our vision higher. When you're raised up to new heights, you see things clearer. You see things. He raised us up to give a higher vision of what he sees. He wants, God wants you to see what he sees. He wants you to see who you are, how he sees who you are. There's an old song that's, that says that we've been lifted out of the miry clay. Remember that old song, out of the miry clay. God lifts us raises us out of that miry clay that's caked our feet. He raised us, and he sets our feet on solid ground, on that path that is the rock of Jesus. Amen? Psalms 3.3 says, But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory and the lifter of mine head. I love reading that in the King James Version. Lifter of mine head. How many know you wake up in the morning, you've had a bad, you've had a bad day before, you go through a day, and, and man, the, the world just keeps coming. Problems and issues keep coming at you. How many know you need a lifter of your head? Amen. Your head needs to be raised up out of, that, out of that deep darkness, out of that spirit of this world. Because I'm going to tell you, the problems of this world remain in this world. But when we're raised to heavenly places in Christ, we are above those problems. Amen? And we have a new insight. We have a new vision that causes us to see beyond those problems. God's intervention makes us alive. You are alive today, church. You are alive in Christ. And he has raised you up 
to sit together, raised you up together above the spirit of this world in heavenly places. That's worth at least one amen, right? Third is God's intervention seats us together with Christ, seats us. He makes us alive, gives us new life, raises us up in heavenly places, and he seats us in those heavenly places. Verse 6 said he made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. In God's immense love, how many know his love is so much greater than we comprehend? In God's immense love, his great grace, I'm using I'm using words out of the Bible that describe his love. His love is immense. His grace is great, and his mercy is limitless. How many know that God's mercy is brand new every day? You may use it all up the night before, but his mercy is brand new the next day. Amen? Some of us, right, some of us, I'll talk about me, need as much mercy as I can use on a daily basis, but his promises, my tank will be full again the next day. Amen? In his immense love, great grace, and his limitless mercy, God gives us a brand new life, a fresh start, a fresh start. He raises up out of, us out of the slavery of sin. How many know sin and the spirit of this world wants to enslave you? That's the chains we've been talking about. He raises you up out of that, and he seats us together in Christ. Where's Christ seated? The Bible tells us he's seated at the right hand of God. He raises us to sit in heavenly places at, in, in, with Christ. That means in the, at the right hand of a place of great authority. And what I want you to hear this morning is this place that he's, he seated us at is where he gives you power over sin. You have power over sin because you're seated in the seat of authority with Jesus. You have the power over sin. It is where he gives us the power and authority over the powers and the principalities of this world. How many know when he raises us up, he raises us up over the spirit of this world, which is the powers, the principalities of the air, and all of the, the temptation and all of the things that the enemy wants to ensnare, to pull you back, to get you back in chains. He, he seats you in this place of authority. It's at this place that he empowers us by the Holy Spirit. How many know the Holy Spirit empowers us, empowers us to live? We're no longer, because the power of the Holy Spirit, we're no longer powerless to sin. You are not powerless to sin. Our minds need to be changed. You may have been addicted to this. You may have been addicted just to the pleasures of life. You may have been addicted to, addicted to the spirit of this world. But we are no longer have to be addicted. The power of sin is broken because the power of the Holy Spirit and this place of authority that he's placed us in. You are no longer subject to your past. You have a new life. Stop bringing the past up. The past is good for one thing, a testimony of God's goodness. That's the only thing a past is good for. Are you hearing me, church? Let it go. You're no longer helpless against the devil or the culture of this world. 
You, I'm going to say it again. You, because of the power of the Holy Spirit, because of, of, of God raising us up, because of him making us alive, because of what he's done in our life, you are not helpless to the power of the spirit of this world. God makes us alive together in Christ. He raises us up and he seats us together with Christ in this place of authority, immense, powerful authority. He's placed that power and authority in each one of our lives. We need to just live like it. We need to be convinced of it. Our minds need to be changed, and we need to walk in that, focus on what he's done for us. I want to ask the worship team to go ahead and come back up and Paul goes on to say in verse 7, listen to this. He says he did all of this. He did all of this, that God did all of this, that in the ages, that word ages means forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. How many know that's a long time? He did this, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Why did, why did God intervene in the life of humanity? Why did God intervene in your life? Why did Jesus come and die on the cross at that point in time? Why? Because he wants for the ages, forever and ever to come, he wants to show his, he did it to show his exceeding riches, the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. He raised us up. He seated us with him so that he can show us this ex- the exceeding riches of his grace for all eternity. All eternity. God wants to show you his exceeding grace that he intervened in your life so that he can show you his love for all eternity. Isn't that awesome? There's a story, and I'm going to close with this. There's a story in Luke 15. It's one of my favorite stories, and we call it the prodigal son. It's a story of the prodigal son who who wasted his life to satisfy the pleasures of his flesh, to satisfy. In fact, he took everything that his father had given him, his total inheritance, and wasted it, spent it on serving his flesh to the point that he was left with nothing, not even food to live on. And he found himself in a, in a pig pen desiring just to be able to eat what he was feeding the pigs. But listen to this intervention. The Bible says when he came to his senses, he remembered he had a father. The Bible says he lifted his head and decided, I'm going to my father. I'm going to return home. Even if I return home as a servant, I'm going to my father. I'm going to come home. There comes a moment in all of our lives, in every person's life, we we recognize how low we have fallen. But God, 
but God. You know, we, we may have, we may just be serving God for a couple years. We may have fallen away from God. We may have be serving God for 50 years. But I'm going to tell you, every day of your life, there's a but God. There's a but God. There's a point where he lifts our head. He reminds us who we are in Christ. He reminds us of what he's done for us. That he's given us life. No, I'm not dead in my trespasses. I'm alive in Christ. No, I'm, I'm not destined. I'm not destined to be subject to the spirit of this world, sin and transgression. No, I'm alive in Christ. And he's lifted and raised me up. And he's seated me. And now I have authority over those things that were seeking to destroy me. He reminds us who we are. And he calls us home. He says, come home. Come home. And beyond that, he doesn't just say come home. This prodigal son went home. In his mind, he said, even if I have to go home and serve, at least I'll eat. At least I'll know. But I have a father. And if I go home. And when he went home, the father came out to meet him. He restored everything to him. And he seated him at the table with the family. You see, when we come home, God seats us at the king's table. He's called us to the king's table. Would you bow your heads? Father, we thank you, Lord, today for making this passage of Scripture alive to us. But Lord, we want your word to be more than just alive in our understanding. God, we ask you to take your word and plant it as seed in our hearts. Put it as seed in our hearts that it would grow, change us, transform us. Lord, to be everything you created us to be, not what we have fallen to be, not what we have subjected ourselves to be, but Lord, we want to be changed, transformed to be all you created us to be. With your eyes closed and heads bowed, if you need prayer for anything, maybe, maybe you're here today and you, you, you have kind of fallen away. Maybe you're joining us online, you're at home, and maybe you've never, maybe you're at a friend's house and you've, You've never accepted Jesus Christ. You didn't understand how God can make your life through Christ brand new. I want to invite you today to simply receive him. Allow him to come in your life. Maybe you're here and you've wandered away from him. You've wandered off that path again. And I'll tell you, the Lord wants to intervene today. He wants to intervene in your life. And he says right now, come home. And all you have to do is pray this prayer. Everybody just pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, you are my Lord and Savior. I accept you today. I rededicate my life today to you. I ask you, Lord, to come into my heart. Set me free. Set me free from every chain 
that has tried to destroy me. Intervene in my mind and my thoughts and in my heart today. And Lord, cause my mind to be changed. And Lord, turn me 180 degrees and set my eyes on you from this day forward. 